Hi, this is Amanda Dolan and welcome to The Mental Society. I am joined by Allison Fry. Allison is a mental health advocate and the host of the mental health podcast, Allison in Wonderland. And she's turning her empty nest into an opportunity to focus on her advocacy. Allison's journey um, into the uh, mental health world really began with the loss of her brother in 2007 and her mother in 2010 to suicide. And um, it's become an obsession for her now. She lives, breathes, and preaches mental health awareness and suicide prevention in all aspects of her life. And she is passionate about these causes and will discuss them with anyone who listens. So Allison, thank you so much for being here with me today. And when I read your, you know, that little bio, that it's me. I mean, not the same losses, but I'm loud. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and it, it's definitely like, try to get me to shut up about mental health. I dare you. <laughs> like, let's make it uncomfortable. Like, if it's uncomfortable, then like, we're not talking about it enough. Exactly. Yes. I, that's basically the way I am. I'm constantly talking about it, which is how the whole podcast thing happened. My 19 year old was like, Mom, you talk about mental health all the time. Start a podcast. <laughs> I know. So for me, I'm like, sometimes I just talk to the camera, just ramble about, hey, this is what's going on. And I think we need to talk about it. Yeah. Sometimes I have amazing guests like you or um, James, who, for those of you that have listened for a while, James was um, on one, we were talking about music. Um, and so got connected to Allison through him. Um, Allison, will you just share like a little bit about like, I mean, I know I mentioned your brother's suicide and then your mother's suicide, but I also know you went back to school as well. To learn. Yeah, so I, I got married when I was 18 and adopted my one-year-old stepson and like instant mom at 18. I had my son, um, my biological son, um, when I was 20. And then um, shortly before I turned 25, I lost my brother who was two years older than me as a result of suicide. And I was just completely blindsided. I had no idea what was going on. Um, I tried to go back to work. I couldn't, I could not really function. And then I, I ended up while I was taking time off work, deciding that I wanted to pursue a degree in psychology to learn more. Um, and then in 2010, after I had received that degree, I lost my mother also as a result of suicide. Um, and then you know, later decided, okay, I want to go to college again. So I, I, I don't sit still very well. So I was like, oh, I'm bored. Let's go back to school. So I studied forensic psychology and all of this has been while I've been doing marketing. So I've had a marketing career for over 20 years, but I've been very passionate about mental health. And those are the, the triggering events that got me to where I really paid attention to what mental health was. But then I also have learned through my journey that, you know, mental health issues with me and my family, those were very preexisting. They happened a long, they started, you know, right. from day one. So it's, it's been an interesting journey and it's one that, you know, obviously I wouldn't wish on anybody, but you know, I feel like I can kind of see the butterfly effect of the way things have happened in my life. And I have, I just hope somebody will hear something in my message that is helpful to them. Yeah. I feel very much the same way. I'm like, I just want to like impact one person. If just one person will get help, if one person has that difficult conversation with someone that they're concerned about, 
you know, because I know for me, when I was, when I made the decision, I was going to commit suicide. Um, and I mean, it was like, I, I knew that this was what I was going to do. I'm not sure most of the people around me had any idea that that was the place that I was in. I know you talked a little bit about, like, I heard on one of your podcasts talking about your brother, how you asked people and you tried to get all the puzzle pieces to get the big picture. So when you think about that, because for me, again, I don't think anyone knew how bad it was. Did you have any idea? And did any of your brother's friends have any idea that it was that bad? No. So it's, so they do when someone dies as a result of suicide and there it's questionable um, if it was a suicide, the police will do a um, like a psychological autopsy where mm-hmm. they will go through and see if the the pieces. And so what I didn't realize was what I was doing after my brother died was a psychological autopsy. If you picture kind of like any of the crime shows with the murder map on the wall and they've got this who's connected to this, that's kind of what I picture of what I was doing. And so everybody had these little bitty pieces of information and some of those now, if I had just that one piece, I would know is a very alarming thing that I should, you know, watch out for. But nobody had all of those pieces and none of us really understood, like, understood or knew anything about suicide. So it never even came up in our minds that that was something that may happen. Um, but there were definitely different things that different people knew. Um, he you know, he was released early from the Air Force um, after going on a joyride in a van through Korea and wrecking it, which was apparently a manic episode that he was having, and he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and released early. Um, He also had back problems, and then the VA really struggled to get his, his chronic pain with his back fixed, and they put him on very, very high doses of um, antidepressants, which for someone that is bipolar is Nothing. extremely, extremely dangerous. Um, but obviously I didn't know that. How would we have known? So um, there, there were so many things that, that went into it. And I know that we have TV shows that are like 13 reasons why and a million tiny things or whatever that try to kind of explain why someone does these things. And really, I don't know that that's really the best message to put on it. But I think that using those same types of titles, you can say it, well, it's never just one thing. And trying to have all of that information is really difficult. But at the same time, suicide is preventable. So hopefully, these types of conversations will cue people into, oh, well, they, they said that they, you know, there's no point in living or thing, you know, they, are, are giving all of their stuff away. They've had an extreme change in their behavior and their mood, you know, maybe that'll make people question it a little bit more. And I love that you said suicide is preventable because it is, I mean, it truly is with treatment. Um, right. But unlike cancer, right. There's no test. Like you can't take a biopsy and be like, Oh, well this person is suicidal. So we must treat them. Right, exactly. And, and that's the thing too, is that a lot of people, it's, it lives within them. And then they're just trying to get, you know, people do have little pieces of the information. And we just kind of need to educate ourselves a little bit more on what some of those main triggers are so that if we're the ones that see that main 
you know, warning sign, we know how to react. And for those of you listening, like when somebody is suicidal, it is not, hey, I I want to die and I'm going to kill myself tomorrow. Like it is not, it, it can be, it can be that, you know, in your face. Um, but usually, like you said, it's giving some things away or, you know, man, like living right now is really hard or, right. you know, sometimes I wonder what it would be like if I wasn't here. And that's right. not necessarily because... I still have days where I'm like, I wonder what the world would be like without me in it. Not in a, like, I want to die way now, just like a, what would the world look like? Right. What, would it, what yeah. would it be like if I had completed my suicide plan? Not that I want that, just, you know, curiosity, I guess. And I think if something I was talking to someone about, and I'm curious your thoughts on this is, you know, when you look at a death certificate, there is, you know, a cause and a manner of death. So, you know, the cause might be a drug overdose and then the manner suicide. I've always wondered, like lately I've been wondering if, especially with suicide, if under the cause, in addition to like that drug overdose or whatever it is, they added bipolar or depression or whatever it is so that we can track that a little bit differently and show how deadly mental illness can really be. Right. And I think that even, you know, one thing I've thought that was in the process of this is I feel like funeral homes should have documentation for families to find support groups and mental health outreach after they've lost someone, or at least the police that show up should have that because you know, I had to go online and find it. I had to find this information. And it's such a common, you know, problem in the United States today. And, and I don't ever speak to other countries because I don't know the statistics, but it's so common that you would think that there would be some kind of thing in place to help the family when they're grieving. Oh, absolutely. And I, I've talked about this friend of mine, Demian, a number of times, and we just celebrated the one-year anniversary of his death, or celebrate maybe the wrong word, but honoring his life. And um, you know, he had six kids, and you know, at the time he died, his youngest was six, and the oldest was twenty-four, I believe. So that's, I mean, wide range, right? But I mean, how do you? How do you help a six-year-old understand suicide well on your own without significant resources? Right, exactly. And then even while you're trying to come to terms with it yourself, I mean, as a parent, like if, you know, Damien's spouse or the, the mother of these children, if, the, you know, is trying to deal with the grief and not just the grief, but the logistics of everything. Like if you lost a spouse in any way, the yeah. aftermath is a ton. And then trying to have those communications with your children about the, the, the manner of the loss being suicide. I mean, I remember my mother when my brother passed away, like banging her fist on a tree and like screaming to God, why couldn't it have just been a car accident? That's a really interesting optic if you think about it. Like, okay, him dying is bad, but him dying from suicide was worse. 
if he was going to die, why couldn't it have been a car accident? And that is just in my mind, I keep thinking back to that going, how is like, I don't understand, like, why is that better? But the stigma and the optics and the blame and the what ifs are so bad when it is as a result of suicide. You say that blame it. I remember, you know, we, we went to his funeral and then we, we went to, um, like a bar, huge outdoor area, food trucks. Like we were all kind of hanging out and wake, basically awake, if you will, for him. And, uh, my friend, Leslie, his, his wife, um, she was sitting with myself and another one of our friends and she looked at us and she said, you know, this is my fault. We were like, what do you, what do you mean? It's not, but like, she's like, well, I wanted us to work on our marriage and we went to counseling. And if, if he hadn't taken a look at himself, then maybe this wouldn't have happened. And she was blaming herself because she wanted better for her family. And that's not what ended up happening, but that wasn't her fault. Right. Well, and that's the thing too, is that, you know, when I went through that, you know, psychological autopsy for my brother, I, I found areas to blame quite a few people. You know, I, I, I mentioned the, the VA hospital. I mean, you know what I mean? Um, my mother knew that he had had attempts in the past and did not tell us yeah. um, he had made so all, there were people that had pieces of information that I didn't have, and I blamed them very severely. But then I also had blame on myself for not, you know, he had he had reached out because my stepmother was insisting that my dad kick him out of the house, and he had all of these medical issues going on. But you know, he self medicated, and I had very small children, and he he you know had begged to come live with us in Atlanta, and you know we really ultimately at that time, it was my husband's decision, but I can look back on it and see that it absolutely made sense not to bring him into our home because we have small children. And when you're a parent, your kids have to be your number one priority. But there was a lot of blame on myself there too, where I was like, oh my God, if we had just let him move in, but I don't, but it wasn't that one thing. And, and that gives an awful lot of responsibility to just you. Right. And it, you're right, it's so easy to blame ourselves, blame others, because we want there to be a reason. Like we want it to be like, okay, here, this is why now I can prevent it from happening to me or someone else in the future. And that's the thing about like mental health is it's, there's, you know, a million pieces, right, that go into our mental well-being. Some of that is going to be medication, perhaps, but it's also getting enough sleep. It's having a support system. So now that you're, you know, you said you're an empty nester, right? your kids are are gone from home. Besides the podcast, what else are you doing for your own mental well-being? Yeah, so, I mean, I have five cats. <laughs> <laughs> They're in the window. We moved, my husband and I moved to a beautiful mountain farm in Kentucky, um, which I I think has helped a lot because we were not happy with like the little HOAs that were tied to the nice schools in Atlanta. Um, and then really, I'm just, you know, I left some very high, I left like a very high level corporate um, marketing position and am working kind of just a little bit in marketing while I do these other things that really focus on mental health. And I think that focusing on mental health advocacy for other people 
um, you may not feel like feel like that's self care, but for me, that is self care, absolutely, because I feel like I'm leading a purposeful life, and that's that's what makes me feel like I'm contributing to this world and hopefully helping other people. So um, I'm also writing a memoir, also called Allison in Wonderland. And it ha- it's actually an interesting take on a memoir where it's also a psychological case study. So I'm writing short story versions of chapters of my life. And a psychiatrist is coming in and writing the psychological ramifications that could come from that type of incident in your life. That is fascinating. I love that idea of, and you know, you and I kind of mentioned this a little earlier, like as parents, like we're bound to screw up our kids. Yeah. In some ways. Um, And you talked about, you know, this psychiatrist coming in and talking about what the potential ramifications are. But I think that what we forget is that having a solid support system can often counter act some of that really traumatic stuff that happens in our life. Exactly. And that's, that's another thing I'm working um, towards being a, a life coach, but I don't even call it that. I call it like peer support coach where I can be someone's trauma partner or their grief partner while they go through these things because they don't all have that support system. And you still need to be able to do the work, even if you don't have And I'm not saying you don't have anyone in your life, but you may not have someone in your life that you want to talk about childhood sexual abuse or something like that. Like you may need an external person to be your support system during that. And I've, I think that that's really important is that we always think of a support system and people are like, well, I don't have a support system. I don't have family. I don't have friends. There are other ways to find support systems outside of your normal daily hub. Right. And for me, I'll be the internet and Facebook have been places where I have found some really amazing people who have become that support system for me. And I know that, you know, I think sometimes we think like social media is bad because there's bullies and filters. And I can argue it either way. (laughs) Oh, I can too. I mean, especially like depending on what right what lens you want to look at it through but it can be a really great place to find people that are experiencing similar things to you um i mean that's that's one of those things too is like instagram their algorithm has me pegged like you wouldn't believe i scroll through and there are mental health like daily affirmations all this mental health information and cat videos That's all it shows me because I won't click on anything else in there because I'm scared of like, I'm going to start getting something stupid in my feed, but those are the two things that are in my Instagram feed. And it's great. I think like for, yeah, TikTok, mine, this is almost embarrassing. I can't believe I'm admitting this. Mine is like mental health, ADHD, um, dogs and people being petty. (laughs) Um, yeah, well, so like I, I started TikTok specifically when I started the podcast and apparently I do not know what I did when I set it up because the only thing that shows up if I log into it are people popping pimples. I don't understand. <laughs> I have no idea. 
So I'll share stuff to it through apps that don't make me log in, but I have not quite figured out how to make that feed like me. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how I got like to all of, I mean, I know some of them, right? Like ADHD, because yeah. I I was a, I was older when I was diagnosed. And so I'm still, you know, f- figuring out all the coping techniques and um, it's funny, right before we started recording, I was like, oh, I forgot to take my Adderall. And I always joke that like, I, I usually have reminders set to take, to remind me to take the pill that helps me remember to do things. Oh yeah. So I, I have ADHD and I also have a mild heart condition, so I can't take the medicine because it's a stimulant. So it makes the heart condition worse, um, but I, I've had to try very, very hard to get to where I can do the things. And I do, I sit down with my calendar every morning and I set alarms for every single caller meeting that I have. And I set an alarm to remind me to eat and an alarm to remind me to feed the cats and all of these things, because I'll forget I'll I'll super hyper-focus on something and then everything else will go away. I, oh, so much that, and I was, Speaking of TikTok, I was scrolling through TikTok and I get to this video and it was like, okay, ADHD queen, when was the last time you went to the bathroom? Are you stuck in like your (laughs) doom scroll? Okay, so now wiggle your toes, like move your legs. Now stand up and go to the bathroom because like you need it. Yeah. And there's so much like truth in that. Like I forget to eat. That is also on my calendar. And I think that's a lot worse now that everyone's working from home too. I mean, I worked from home before COVID, but then when everyone started working remotely, it was like my calendar never ended up having time for food or coffee or bathroom breaks, um, which is the craziest thing. If you were in an office, everyone would go to lunch together and half the people would go outside and smoke. And (laughs) And this is something that I've done and I am completely fine with it. And I don't care what people think. Um, I have time set outside of my schedule for lunch and a, um, as my mother would say, um, a time to rest my eyes. I don't know that it's exactly a nap as much as it is just quiet time in the middle of the day. Yeah. Um, because I need that. Like I need that intentional break. And so it's built in a little hacienda. (laughs) Yeah. It's built into my, my, life because if it's not I won't do it and you talked about eating you know it pops up on my calendar um and then on this over this weekend I was out to eat with my kids and my partner and his son and talking and my daughter pushes my water in front of me and she was like drink and I drank a little and, you know, we're talking. And then my son was like, your water. <laughs> and there's part of me that's like, oh, they're, you know, teenagers and they're taking care of me. And then I chose to reframe it as, no, they want me to take care of myself. Right. Like they're, you know, they're just reminding me so that I'm aware. And they're, you know, and then they're aware because my son, my kid's hydrate better now because I talk about the importance of hydration and sleep, you know, all of those things are huge. And I think, like you said, working from home, it's, we don't stop 
and pause like we used to. I know. There's no getting away from the office. And I mean, I'll take my computer to bed with me. And, you know, at 11 o'clock at night, I'm editing a podcast or returning emails or writing something. And it's like, why am I doing this to myself? Like, and now I'm not going to sleep well because I've been on my computer. Yeah, absolutely. And I I had the same issue. So I started the podcast and I was like, nobody's going to want to be a guest. And I opened my calendar just wide open. And then I ended up with so much scheduled that I feel so bad. I've had to reschedule on so many people because I was like, I just can't, I can't do this like seven times a week. I'm only going to post, you know, twice a week. There's no way. So. And I was the same way. I, when I first like opened up my calendar and I started reaching out to people, I'd reach out to people and be like, this person would never want to be on my podcast. Like the episode that was released most recently He's a comedian and he worked for Howard Stern and he's a psychiatrist. And like, he wrote like the, um, you know, the roast for Matt Lauer for Comedy Central. I mean, like this man, like he's brilliant and hilarious. And he was like, yeah, sure. When? It's like, oh wait, no, you weren't supposed to say yes. Like this is just supposed yeah, to be. Now, now, like, now I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. <laughs> and I yeah. Had, a number of people like that, that I was just like, surely no. And then just immediate, like, yeah, yeah. I'm down for it. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of my first guests was um, Dr. Anita Johnston. And she is like the pioneer for disordered eating. And she wrote like this beautiful book um, called Eating in the Light of the Moon. And instead of it being a self-help book about hey, you know, love your body image, don't worry about dieting. It uses storytelling and metaphor to talk about like the beautiful Mm -hmm. vessels that women are and the way that we were seen as like, you know, in the hierarchy of the world, you know, before. And it just gives you, it's just so beautiful. And so what the very first thing I did when I set up my podcast was I looked up her website and emailed her and I was like, hey, would you be on my podcast? And she was like, sure. I was so shocked. This is so crazy. I'm going to need to check out that book because I think for me, like eating has always been an issue for a variety of reasons. And, and I think like disordered eating one, it's just, it's in your face all the time. And by that, I mean like dieting. Oh, well, you know, Intermittent fasting is the way to do it or no carbs or all the carbs or low fat or don't eat after this time or don't eat this or this supplement, right? And it's all in our face and nobody thinks of it as disordered eating, but it it is. And growing up, I mean, I don't know if you remember like looking at like teen magazine, you know, and I got it when I was like 12 or something. And it's like how to lose weight, how to get you know, abs. And not even that, but my mom did not look like me at all. Little bitty, tiny, blonde hair, blue eyed. She was the 80s aerobics instructor. When you picture, if you picture aerobics instructor Barbie, that was my mother. So it wasn't just the magazines. It was, you know, being held down by her knees so she could tweeze my eyebrows. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's painful to be beautiful. (laughs) Or like for me, I, my, and I understand like my mom did this for what she thought was for me, but 
I mean, I started going to Weight Watchers when I was like eight. Like yeah. what? You know, and so no wonder like my relationship with food was funky. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, food, it's one of those things that comforts us. Like it's the first thing that we have that comforts us. I mean, the, yeah, if you think about that, every time you see people that you haven't seen in a while, you all meet around food. Your holidays are all centered around food. If someone passes away, everyone brings you food. Everything is centered around food. And in my case, we grew up very poor. So comfort food is like a legitimate thing because there were times we didn't know when we were going to eat again. So it really was such a comfort, which means that now like my relationship with food is just all kinds of twisted. (laughs) And it's, it's almost like it fills a void, but it doesn't really. And it like, and then you get sick feeling, I mean, at least for me, like I would binge and it was like, I was trying to fill something, but then I just felt so sick afterwards. It's like, okay, I'm never doing that again, but of course, yeah, you know, then, the- then here we are. Yeah. Like, thank yeah, I understand that completely. And that's my thing is I, I compulsively eat. So people are like, you need to track what you eat. And I'm like, okay, if I'm already compulsively thinking about food and wanting to eat all the time, do you think writing down everything I eat is going to make it better or make it worse? Yeah. <laughs> and it was, so for me about a year ago, maybe not quite that long ago, I stopped tracking my food. Um, and I tracked my, like on my fitness pal, you know, like there yeah. was a streak. <laughs> And I think my streak was like 1100 days of vlogging. Now that didn't count like the journals that I kept, you know, on paper and those sorts of things. There was something incredibly freeing about no longer writing down every single thing I put in my body. And yet I still will be like, oh, well, you know, that half a cup of rice is about 150 calories. And that banana, that's about 100 calories. And, you know, this, did you know that Oreos are this, you know, like, because I tracked it. Because you've done it. Yeah, it's all in your brain now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, you talked about like with ADHD, I forget to eat, especially on my medication, because well, it makes me not hungry. Yeah, it crushes your appetite. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then it's like, you know, I've I've had friends be like, oh, I wish that I like would forget to eat like that. And I'm like, no, this is not like, what are we teaching people? Like, oh, forget to eat. I was always like that. My mom, when she would was stressed out, she'd work out and clean the house. And I was like, man, I wish that I did that stuff when I was stressed because I just want to lay down, watch TV and eat. It is so opposite. <laughs> and the thing is, neither one of those things is necessarily like <laughs> wrong or bad or like, because we all are so unique and different and our mental health requires different things. Like what works for me isn't going to work for the guy across the street. But for both of us, it's important that we make that a priority. Exactly. Whatever that thing is. So besides like snuggling up and watching television and eating food, what are some other ways that you take care of yourself? Um, I could definitely say the cats. Um, I've actually checked it. Like my blood pressure will get high and a cat will come and lay on me and purr and my blood pressure will drop. I think that's a thing. Like I really do think 
yeah, I think, so I've looked it up and it says that it's like an actual thing. I, I want to find somebody that's like from a, like a pet organization that can come and talk about the science, but um, really just, I live in this most beautiful place in the world and I've never been really happy where I live. And I, if just walking outside and looking at it, I, it makes me feel peaceful. Um, I watch a lot of the same shows and movies over and over again because I have to do that hyper focus ADD brain all day long. And I don't want, and I want to watch stuff to unwind, but I don't want to focus and pay attention to it. You know, I do the same. It's so interesting. I do the same thing. And I feel like I read somewhere too, that it, it can be like a trauma thing too, because you know, what's coming. And so there's no surprises. There's no like, yeah. like it's comfortable. Like you know, exactly. what's going to happen. For me, it's Murder, She Wrote. I haven't seen that forever. <laughs> um, in fact, I was going to, I think I can swivel my camera um, for you. Um, so I am obsessed with plants, mm -hmm. but I don't know if you can see my little dog. Wait, where? Right yes. There. <laughs> so that is Fletcher, as in um, Jessica Fletcher, who is Angela Lansbury's character. Yeah. So he's named after her. Uh yeah, I watch the same things over and over again. Um, and I don't know about you, I also require um, uh, closed captioning for most things. Otherwise, I have a hard time because I don't want to look at the TV. I want to like play puzzle games on my phone or something while I'm doing it. Um, but what's really weird is so my husband doesn't understand like why I want to watch things like Criminal Minds over and over again. And in my mind, it's because they get the bad guy in the end. And it's very, it's just very therapeutic for me to know that they're going to get the bad guy and the bad mm -hmm. guy is going to get what he deserves because in life that doesn't happen as much as we yeah. would like. And so like one, I already know it's going to happen. I haven't watched the new like reboot yet or whatever, because Good. I don't know what they're, I don't know what's going to happen, but so I have to be in the mood for it. But mm -hmm. I've rewatched the other ones so much. So the ones that are really traumatic, I can just feel like, oh, I'll skip this. It's no big deal. And then the other ones, it's great because I know they're going to get the bad guy. And I need that in my life. I need to know someone is getting the bad guy at the end of the day. Yes. Like that. There's so much. I never thought of it like that way either. For me, it's just like, okay, I know it's going to happen. Like, and it's going to be okay in the end, but it's also that, like, get the bad guy stability. Yeah. I mean, somebody, somebody's getting shot or put in prison by the end of the episode most of the time. And, and if they're not in this episode, like, you know, that it's that, like, by the end of the season, by the end of the season, they're going to have caught that guy. Cause this is like the one case that goes like throughout the throughout the whole thing but they're also catching bad guys for other cases throughout yes exactly <laughs> but the one that they didn't get like don't worry they're gonna get them at the they're end they're gonna get them later yeah exactly and so i no, i like that it's like oh the bad guy we don't have to worry about them and i think with mental with, or for me um i can catastrophize things yes. like i make things like the worst ever um and it's really easy for me to do that. Like, and it goes like that, you know, it's just in the second from everything's fine to, oh my God, the world is ending. Yeah. 
And so when it's, yeah, like when you know exactly what's coming, sure makes things a lot easier to. It does. And I know which movies are going to lift me up. Like I know what shows I can watch over and over again. I know which ones I can fall asleep to mash and cheers. I've been falling asleep to cheers lately. Um, Just like all of these things that I know are calm enough that like, I don't feel like I need to pay attention, but it's at least kind of on. So my brain isn't spinning because having everybody's like, Oh, it's not healthy to sleep with the TV on. And I'm like, it's also not healthy for my brain to be going 90 miles an hour when I'm trying to sleep. Right. And that's one of the things that I'm still like trying to figure out. Cause I've always listened to something while falling asleep right now. It's totally like true crime YouTube videos. <laughs> and I'm sure people are like, true crime, that relaxes you? Yes, yes, it does. I don't know why, but it does. Um, sometimes I'm like, maybe it's because then I can see someone else is more messed up than I am. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've tried like the, you know, crashing waves and the like, oh, um, this is the sound bath and it'll help you fall asleep in three minutes or whatever. No, that's not. Doesn't work for me, but I can tell you that if I if I don't have a TV show on, um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to Get the Galaxy audio book that is read by Stephen Fry, I'll listen to that. And I know it sounds bad. It's like it has to be him because it puts me to sleep. And it's not that so much as I, I just know the story so well. And I always started at chapter eight because chapter eight is when like. They stop going gargle, 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 you know, like where like you can actually everyone's voice is the same language. And I can just about recite chapter eight word for word. Um, But I but by chapter nine, I'm asleep. It's so interesting that like we find comfort in weird places. I know. I think that 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 it's important to have something that centers us whether that's chapter eight of an audiobook <laughs> or the you know 28th time I've watched the same episode of murder she wrote because for me I can watch like the opening credit or right you know that initial thing and I'd be like here's everything that happens and this is who did it and this is the you know the how right. and the why and the and there's something like just uh, I know exactly what's coming I don't have to think because you have to be on the edge of your seat. There's no suspense, which is great. <laughs> and like you, I like to play games or scroll or. And I'm curious, like we kind of talked about, you know, the joys and detriment of social media. Do you, How much do you curate like Facebook or even like your Google, like news feed to protect your mental well-being so i i don't watch the news or read the news if something happens that i need to to know my husband will tell me and i'll go look it up but i i i stopped watching the news um a few months after 9-11 because i obsessively watched it Every single day after 9-11, I got newspapers that were national and Birmingham, like local every day that it was front page. And I just like obsessed over it. And finally, I was like, and this is before I'd ever reached any mental health, you know, journey or, you know, awareness at all. I was like, okay, I have to stop doing this. 
And so that's, I just kind of cut off the news. And that doesn't mean that I don't see things because I'm on, I'm online and I'll see things. Right. But, but usually if there's like, we were out, um, I know we talked briefly about there being a shooting in Nashville or the day after that, my, my son and I were at, out and I was like, why are the flags at half mass? And he told me. And so I went and looked it up because like, that's sometimes it's very much like we'll be out. It actually happens quite a bit when I find out something happened because I see the flags at half mass. So I do like keep it very much like, I know I do people probably like, Oh, but how do you say, you know, up with current events, I go look them up when I need to, <laughs> I don't get that it like enthralled in election campaign stuff. I go and like right before it's time to vote, I do all the research I need to do. Yeah. And because it's so easy to get well like bogged down in the ick of it all. No. And and just the obsessive thoughts that won't go away. I just it's just easier for me to be like, okay, I'm gonna do a lot of research at the last minute and then we're good. <laughs> so you're informed. You're not like sticking your head in the sand you're not it's not like you're not willing to learn it's not that it's just i don't want to be bombarded with five million bad things that happened today exactly exactly and then and i don't want to read it at bedtime i need to to learn about it at a time of the day that my mind can deal with it yeah because if you're reading it half an hour before you your bedtime what are you going to dream about and you know, I share with you, we're recording this on, um, what day is today? April 10th. April 10th. Um, and there, I grew up in Kentucky in Louisville and there was a shooting today in Louisville. Um, and you know, there's shootings all the time. I know that. Um, but this one hit really close to home for me because it's my hometown. I was in that area just a few months ago, but here's the thing is that I didn't find that. Like someone texted me like, Hey, look at this and thank goodness that like I was in a place that it was fine and I was you know could look at it and I didn't have something going on but I like I haven't reached out to a bunch of friends or anything because I don't know that I want to to know like I know all my friends are safe right. but I also don't want to relive it and I don't want to make them relive it or think about it um and I think that that can be beneficial and it can be perhaps detrimental sometimes if we aren't discussing these things. But I know for you and I, at least I think, we're focusing on this mental health piece. Like, Right. And the thing is, is like, no, no one has to do all of the things. Do you find the thing you're passionate about and the way that you can make your mark on the world and you focus on that thing? And so... You know, I, I'm not going to be one of those that's getting in the fights about gun control or, you know, like I, I'm just it's just not my area. I'm, I'm not going to get I'm not going to go there because once again, I can see both sides of the argument. <laughs> and exactly. And it's it's like you can't we can't do every single thing. Right. Because if you think you're going to do every single thing, you're going to fail at every single thing. Or you can pick one or two things that you're passionate about. And focus on those and do them to the best ability that you can um, and hopefully make a change. So Absolutely. I'm like, that's why I love, you know, what both of us are doing, just opening up conversations more about all the places that mental health, it shows up. 
in the world, whether that's with your cats because they lower your blood pressure and feel better or my 7 million plants because they give me something to take care of and they bring me joy. And also they make my air like in my house healthier. My cats Um, would eat the plants. That's the problem. (laughs) Yes. Which is why I don't have cats. Well, that, and I'm really allergic to them, but like my dogs leave them alone, which is weird because I feel like they shouldn't like, I'm surprised they don't knock them all over. Um, Yeah. Like find that thing that you're passionate about. It could be, childhood literacy or I don't know nutrition technology for you know making sure that all the kids have technology available to them or whatever whatever you're passionate about like do that thing don't try to do all the things um and know that like and find your people that are also doing the same thing because our voices are definitely out there yeah exactly just, you know, like I found you, I found James, like, right. Like there's a whole group of us that, that are passionate about this stuff. And so when we work together, like all your people are now going to hear, you know, me and my people are going to hear you. And then hopefully like, you know. And what's interesting is when I met James, you know, I kind of suck at mindfulness. He clued me in and I had an epiphany about mindfulness where I can't just sit and quiet my mind, but I can put on a Van Morrison like vinyl and sit and listen to it. And it calms me. And I did not ever, I never even thought about it until I talked to James. Isn't that, it's wild. James from the Um, Ben Words Fail Music Speaks podcast. And I'll make sure I link that too. Uh, I know James is on months ago for me, but. So like all of that. Yeah. So like. I, all of these years, I finally learned that music was how I practice mindfulness and calm. And, <laughs> and you know, it's fun. I'm like, I'm the same way and different. Like m- music, I will sing loudly and probably poorly. But for me, it just like gets, gets the emotion. Yeah. It's just like talking to yourself in the car. <laughs> yeah. Like d- everyone does that, right? Please tell me that. Exactly. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I replay what I should have said or what I wish I could oh say. Gosh. Or I go back to when I was nine years old and I'm like, oh God, remember when I said that dumb thing in fourth grade and I wish I could go back and <laughs> yeah. And then I catastrophize and I think, oh, that's why I'm not friends with that person because I did something dumb in fourth grade. No. Yeah. Um, I- yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, I can definitely see me doing that. Um, so like, oh, this, like, go do what, what you love, um, find a cause, whether it's mental health or whatever it is, you know, you're passionate about underwater basket weaving, like go all in (laughs) and Um, create a community because I'm sure the other three people in the world that are need to find you. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And maybe that's what we should just do. Like just everyone there should be, well, there are Facebook pages for like everything out there. <laughs> so go find like your people because they're yeah. out there. Um, and whether that's in your community locally or somebody in Bangladesh, I don't know, like they're out there, find them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, having a community helps your mental wellness. It just does. Being in relationship with people changes things. 
Yeah, it absolutely does. Everyone needs their tribe. And just like you talked about, like being an emotional support human for people yeah. going through the grieving process or, you know, digging into their trauma, which is hard. So yeah, like find the people that you can support and also make sure you're caring for yourself and your needs too. Exactly. If you're giving everything to everyone else and there's nothing left for you, you're not going to have anything for those people exactly. a little further yeah. down. You have to, you have to take some too. So it's like give, 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 take, give, 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 take. And sometimes it's take, 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 give, take, take, Yeah, take. it just That's depends. Okay. It, yeah, it depends. Like, and it could, just, and it could be back and forth, but you have to make sure that you're getting a balance. And it's not selfish to ask for help. Yeah. And self-care is not selfish. Being like, it's okay, this family's toxic. And so I'm not going to hang out with them on Easter is not selfish. That's you protecting yourself and you're allowed to protect yourself. And you know, I've, I've worked with moms and things in the past and going to the grocery store by yourself is not necessarily self-care. Like, you know, getting to be like, oh, I get alone time because, you know, my partner is watching the kids so I can go to the grocery store. No, like the grocery store is a chore. Now, if it's, oh, I get to go to Target without my kids and I'm going to get Starbucks on my way in and I'm going to spend two hours wandering around Target, just looking at all the things and smelling 18 different candles and looking at all the pillows or whatever your thing yeah. is, that that might be self-care. But like running to the grocery store alone to get milk, eggs, and breads, that's not self-care. Right. Um, and then if you think that that is self-care and you do something else that's alone, yourself later on, then you'll feel like you're being selfish because you already had your special self-care time at your grocery store trip. <laughs> and self-care is uh, just take care of yourself. You just, yeah. you need to. And saying no doesn't mean that like, is not a bad thing. Right. Saying no I is. Mean, you, you don't have to overextend yourself. I am the worst about doing that. You don't have to overextend yourself. You can be like, I'm sorry. I know I said I was going to do this today, but I just can't. And and I, I'm not telling people to be a flake, but also don't like, I, I reached the point with the podcast where I was just so overwhelmed. And finally I was like, I can't let a mental health podcast ruin my mental health. Yeah. Or for <laughs> me, it was like, I did all the PTA things and it was like, I hate this, I hated the but PTA I'm doing it because <laughs> nobody else is going to do it. And I was like, I never wanted to be a PTA mom. And I was never like one of those PTA moms. But I, I mean, but I was on the PTA. I did all the things because I convinced myself no one else was going to do it. And then, but it was terrible for me and it's terrible for my kids. And so now I'm say no a lot more because it yeah. means that there's time for the things that I love, like doing this or watering my plants or whatever it, it is. Right. And so, you don't have so much burnout. If you're not burnout, then you're able to actually be there for people. They need it. And that's what I think all of us really want is to be there for the people we love and to, yeah, like exist in the world in a way that feels good and healthy to us. Um, exactly. And taking care of ourselves is how we do that. Um, and not just, you know, like physical health is great and important, but if you don't 
if you don't take care of your brain, then you're just, your body is not going to be happy with you either. Yeah. I mean, because your mental health can have negative effects on your physical health. So it's really, it's really important to make sure you're taking care of your mental health. All the things, whether it's pet your cat or your dog or go on a walk or journal or (laughs) I, I feel like I've seen a black cat go like, yeah. So there was a black cat that walked by. There's one in that chair, a different black cat. And then there is a brown cat right here in the window. Which is where the cat should be, right? Basking in the sun. Yes, exactly. Getting that vitamin <laughs> D that yeah. we all need and don't get enough of now that we're all in our houses all the time. Yes, Exactly. <laughs> You don't even leave to like go to our car to leave for work. We just It tells you how pretty the view is. I never really thought about animals caring, but the cats lay in the windows just about all day long since we moved to this farm and just watch because it's just so pretty. Oh, are you going to come up here now? <laughs> I'm a little jealous of like such a beautiful view because mine is not, it's the street, but <laughs> I do like my neighborhood, so I, I won't complain much, but that part of Kentucky, I know it well, and it's it's beautiful. So I'm I'm jealous, and you will be in Kentucky, making um, huge impacts on mental health, and I'll be in Texas, and we'll do that, and and then James is in South Carolina, yeah, and so yeah, like you guys have that, you know, south of the Mason Dixon line thing covered, and I'm working yep. on the rest of the Mississippi. We'll, yeah. we'll have a whole tribe. It'll be great. Yeah, we'll have a tribe. We need somebody in every state. We'll be like, this is our, our you know, our map. <laughs> I think, oh my gosh, this is like now my, I'm. You're, you're like, I'm going to get a map out and I'm going to start writing who is the person <laughs> in that state. <laughs> exactly. Hey, that'd be so cool though. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. I We've been talking forever and I want to like honor both of our times. But um, before we end, like, is there any other like, awesome nugget of wisdom that you want to share nuggets of wisdom oh okay so if you go to my website allisonandwonderland.com if you fill out the newsletter form then you will get a free guide to psychological first aid and I think what people don't realize is that um so like if you know how to do the Heimlich maneuver and CPR psychological first aid is kind of the same thing where you learn how to respond and how to read when people may need help in the state and when there's a state of crisis, because the first responders are helping people that have physical injuries. And so it's a really great guide to have, especially for people. I know there's a lot of people that are professionals. So if you're in a workplace and something happens that's stressful, it's really great to have. Um, And then I always like to share that the um, National Suicide Crisis Lifeline has changed their number to a 988. It's a three-digit dialing code where you can text or dial it. And I know we talked a little bit about um, psychological autopsy and the signs and things, but I think what people don't realize is that if you're not the one in crisis, you can still text 988 and they will, you know, tell you like, you could be like, this is what's going on and they can help you through the conversation and what the next steps may be for the person in crisis that you're connected to. That is a great point. And I don't know why I have never thought of that. But yes, if someone that you care about, if you think that they're having a mental health crisis, reach out and definitely go to 
Allison's website, which I will also link below um, in the show notes and all of that. What a great gift to give people psychological first aid. Because we all know like, right, what to do if someone has a heart attack, we talk or choke. But we don't talk about what to do if someone is in a mental health crisis. And first responders, yes, like they're trained for primarily physical stuff. Let's face it, our first responders are not trained well in how to help someone in a mental health crisis. Right. Um, I mean, it, it and it, it, they're very, it's hard to tell too. So, um, and when you're closer, like when you know this person, you're more likely to notice those maybe small changes that someone that doesn't know them might not see or understand. Exactly. So, thank you. So, make sure you go check out her website. There you can find all the links to all the places for podcasts and social media and and all of those things because you all know of the things <laughs> all of them. There's there's all kinds of places to find Allison. Um, her website is great because you can. She said there's the resources there. Find her podcast um, links to her YouTube and all of that. Um, so thank you again, Allison, for joining me. I really appreciate your time and um, fun conversation. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Um, And so with that, we have reached the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening and learning more about how mental health and society meet. Now go out and open a conversation and discover how mental health is experienced in your world. You can find more episodes of The Mental Society in all the places you find your favorite podcast. Um, And please subscribe so you don't miss out on anything. Um, And you can find additional resources at our website, thementalsociety.com. And remember that you are not alone. Hope and help are all around you. And until next time, this is Amanda Dolan wishing you good health, mental and otherwise. Mm